if you haven't noticed, I love and appreciate the Psalms. Um, that last song, when trials come, we'll praise him still. And, and that's a theme you'll see throughout the Psalms when you read them. Where there's trials and, and tribulations that happen to the, the psalmist, whether it's David or one of the other authors of one of the Psalms inspired by God that they may be pleading on one hand for God's assistance, and on the other hand, they're being delivered and giving him praise the whole time. I don't have any uh, airplane or jet issues to <laughs> bring up, though I was thinking about it while I was just sitting here that um, Cameron gave that example of that pilot and all the things that went through that pilot's mind, none of them were of the Lord or, you know, what he would miss, you know, as far as what the Lord had given him. <laughs> he was more worried about how we'd be, you know, how he'd be seen afterwards, you know, hanging out the window like that, you know, for his life. So you see all through history from martyrs to people in trouble that um, they sing or quote the Psalms. And I can't help, part of me thinks that, you know, back, you know, hundreds of years ago, a thousand years ago, when trials came, people knew the Psalms. They had them memorized. They sang them in church. They sang them in gatherings. Whereas today, I struggle to memorize two lines of scripture, right? It's, I'm, you know, putting these things, this together, and it's like, okay, I remember this verse. Where is it? You know, so I'm searching, right? Doing Google searches, everything, trying to, you know, but to them, these things were part of their daily lives, right? Whether they were gathering, they were out uh, working, you know, with their families, whatever it was. They, you know, they leaned on these things. Uh, in John Fox's book of the martyrs is the story of Julius Palmer. He witnessed to the faith of the Protestant martyrs and became an ardent anti-Catholic published various documents to support their view. He was arrested, condemned to death, and on the morning of July 6, 1556, as flames engulfed Palmer and his fellow friends of resistance, song, song, a song excuse me, from Psalm 31 was on their lips, be strong and take courage. Their final words encapsulated their hope fortified by song, as they stated, Lord Jesus, receive our souls. The Huguenots in the 16th century, a French Protestant movement, encountered much persecution from the Roman Catholic Church. They kept their hope alive by singing the Psalms. They kept Psalm 3 in their mind, for example, when they faced impending danger of war. When Louis XIV forbade the singing of psalms, the Huguenots sought refuge in the forest, continued their singing. 1839, a coal mine collapsed in Scotland. 13 miners were trapped. They sang a version of Psalm 20 from memory as they faced certain death. The psalm says, in time of trouble, may the Lord respond to your cry. All 13 miners were rescued. Singing Psalm 20 right up to the moment, <clears throat> excuse me, the last minor was rescued. And, and that's, you know, I love the stories. And that's, you know, as I read through the Psalms, I try to read through one daily. And you just, you know, see everything from the praise to the struggle, back to praise that you see. So this morning, I'll be walking through Psalm 66. And um, before I do, let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to teach from your word this morning, Lord. It's, um, I just appreciate this opportunity for one, and just appreciate how much work that Cameron and Phil and Bruce put into these to bring your word forth to the church. So Lord, I ask this morning that you give me clarity in my speech, and that we all benefit from going through your word this morning. So Psalm 66, it's a praise psalm of thanksgiving. It's attributed to David. 
And, and when I read through that, I, I can see worship in this, right? Worship and praise. A.W. Tozer said, for the Christian, everything begins and ends with worship. Whatever interferes with one's personal worship of God needs to be properly dealt with and dismissed. Keep in mind that above all else, worship is an attitude, a state of mind, and a sustained act. It is not a physical attitude, but an inward act of the heart toward God. So if you can, read, open up to um, Psalm 66, and I'm going to read through it here, and then uh, we'll kind of look at it in sections as we go. Psalm 66. Shout for joy to God all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him who rules by his might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. Who has kept our soul among the living for has not, and has not let our feet slip? For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You have brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let man ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you, which my lips, which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. I will offer you burnt offerings of fattened animals with the smoke of the sacrifice of rams. I will make an offering of bulls and goats. Come and hear, all of you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished inequity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly, God has listened, and he has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. So you can kind of see through here how this kind of breaks down. So verses 1 through 4, kind of label this, worshiping the God of all. Verses 1 and 2, shout for joy to God all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give him glorious praise. And you see this throughout the Psalms. Psalm 98.4, make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Psalm 100, make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. 81, sing aloud to God our strength. Sing aloud to God our strength. Shout for joy to the God of Jacob. In 95, O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. When I, when I read those, you can read that, yeah, the whole earth, believers everywhere, right, are going to sing praises to our Lord, much like we do here in the morning when we're singing praises to God. But just... The whole world cries out. I, you know, I know some of you are campers here. You go camping. You know, I, I can't help but remember times. You know, I wake up four. You know, I'm in a tent four thirty in the morning. You're like waking up going, "What is that noise? What is it? It's a birds." I've never heard birds so loud in my life when you're trying to sleep in a tent. In the <laughs> but as soon as that sun comes up, starts to come up, they're letting loose. And it's the start of another day that God's given them, just like us. And I can't help but think, you know, all that noise, they're praising the Lord for another day. Um, sunsets, sunrises. I'm a sucker for those. <laughs> if I'm out walking in the morning and there's a nice sunrise coming up, I'm stopping in the middle of the road in my walk and I'm taking a picture. Um, one of Jen and I's favorite places is to go over to the beach, over to Monterey. And if there's any cloud cover, you know there's going to be a nice sunset. And we were over there one trip. I set the camera up on a tripod and probably took 200 pictures, you know, just because, you know, that beauty that the Lord 
presents to us. You know, it's all his. All that worship should be to God only. That should be the motto for all believers. Worship our God only. William Plummer puts it this way, to honor God should be our subject, and to honor him our object when we sing. To give glory to God is to but restore to him his own. It is our glory to be able to give God glory, and all our true glory should be ascribed unto God, for it is his glory. And we even see that in Romans, do we not? For what can be known about God is plain for them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have clearly have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that he has made. So they were without excuse. Verse 3, say unto God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. It's interesting when I looked at this one, you look at it in the King James Version. It says, say unto God, how terrible art thou in thy works, though the greatness of thine of thy power shall thine enemies submit themselves unto thee. The Hebrew word for terrible, and I'm probably butchering this, is yadre, means to fear, to be afraid, to stand in awe. And the Hebrew word for cringing, kash, is to cringe, to be obedient. And we see that. How awesome are his deeds? Right? The psalmist here, I'm, I'm sure he's thinking of, you know, uh, what the Lord has brought him through from the Red Sea out of Egypt. I couldn't help but think of, of Joshua sending the spies into, into Jericho, the prostitute Rahab, and what she did, she hid them and told the king that, hey, they're not here, they left. And if you read Joshua 2, 8 through 11, before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard now, we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites, who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord, your God, he is the God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Those people knew what the Lord had done for the Jewish people. Those deeds were awesome. It even spoke to his enemies and the Jewish nation's enemies. They knew, they heard those stories. They knew what, as, as you said, their hearts melted. Spurgeon says, through the greatness of thy power shall thine enemies submit themselves unto thee. You see this. E even Pharaoh, you know, he, he submitted and, and let them go. You know, he, he had a change of heart tried to destroy him, and we know what happened to him in the Red Sea. But again, that spoke to God's greatness, and that's what the psalmist is seeing here. And we know, ultimately, God's enemies will give an account at the end of age. Matthew 12, 36, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. Revelation 1, 7, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Of course, Romans, you know, people are without excuse. That's how awesome he is, and that's one thing we need to remember as, as we're singing his praises. Verse 4, All the earth worships you and sings praises to your name. They sing... Excuse me, all the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Again, all the earth shall worship God. All the inhabitants of the world will bow down before him. For as believers, we're going to worship him forever and eternal, with eternal life. Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare your glory. The sky proclaims your handiwork. 
you know, we were told over and over to praise our God, the whole world is, and, and see that throughout the Old Testament. First Chronicles 16, sing to the Lord all the earth, tell of his salvation from day to day, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and he is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. Now, most of your Bibles, you probably see this little word after um, verses Selah, right? You see that throughout the Psalms. And I thought, okay, let me do some digging. What does that mean? You know, you see it there. And there's no definite, this is what it is, this is what it meant. It's likely a musical term, may refer to a silence or a pause or an interlude. A term, you primarily see it in the Psalms, though it's also seen in Habakkuk. <coughs> and the Septuagint also kind of interprets this likely to mean pause or an interlude. Now, whether it was a musical interlude or a pause, <coughs> excuse me, I, I like what Spurgeon says about it, a little pause for holy expectation is well inserted after so great a prophecy, and the uplifting of the heart is also a seasonable direction. No meditation can be more joyous than that excited by the prospect of a world reconciled to its creator. So when you see that, and sometimes after you read through one of the, uh, through some of the verses, and, and there, there's so much weight to those, it, I can see where it would be a time to just pause and reflect on that. So you see that, like I said, throughout the Psalms. In Habakkuk, you see it after 3.13. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. Selah. There's a couple of verse. There's a verse there you could chew on for a while, right? So, I, you know, I, you know, as you're reading through your Bibles, you're reading through the Psalms and you see that, that was often probably a point to, for them to reflect on what they had just, you know, sung, what they were just praising. As we move to verses 5 through 12, and here we're worshiping the God of his people. And I think we have God of many or the God of his people. The, the psalmist here kind of changes where he was speaking of the whole world. Now he's kind of speaking more of the people. And at the time this was written, the psalmist is thinking of God's people, Israel. Verse 5, come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him. Verse 5, when I looked at that, Again, kind of the King James Version here, come and see the works of God. He is terrible in his doing toward the children of men. And again, that word, yadre, which means to fear, stand in awe. It could also mean afraid, terrible, terrible thing, dreadful. It's used also for reverence, terrible acts. The Legacy Standard Bible puts verse 5 this way, Come and see the works of God, who is fearsome in his deeds towards the sons of men. Now here is the psalmist singing or praising what God has done for his people and what he's done to his enemies. Or is it as John Gill's commentary states, in his vengeance on the Jews for disbelieving and rejecting him. And you could kind of see that both ways, right? We, you see this all through the Old Testament time and again, even though the Lord brings them through troubles time and again. A couple verses later, they don't want anything to do with the Lord. They're doing what is, you know, on their hearts, what they want to do. So they're constantly, he's good to them. He brings them back into the fold. But it's also, you know, is, is that what this is? Thing? And I think you can see that both ways, you know. It's, he's also, you know, if they're disobeying him, there's going to be consequences. 
and, and also for his enemies, we, you know, obviously there's going to be consequences. Spurgeon said, for the, dif for the defense of his church and the overthrow of her foes, he deals terrific blows and strikes mighty, strikes the mighty with fear. O thy enemy, wherefore douse thou vault, vault thyself. So the Lord takes care of the proud and the, and the <clears throat> those that, you know, come against him and come against his word. Verse 6, obviously, crossing of the Red Sea, he turned the sea into dry land, passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him. <clears throat> and immediately after they crossed the um, Red Sea onto dry land, what did they do? They rejoiced. They broke into song. And I'll just read part of that from, if I can get there. Exodus 15, and Moses and the people of Israel, then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord saying, I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him, my father's God and I will exalt him. Verse 11, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? Verse 13, you have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed, and you have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. And of course, then in Joshua 3, we also read how Israel passed through the, the Jordan River on dry ground into the promised land. Verse 7, who rules by his might forever? Whose eyes keep watch on the nations? Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. And again, at the end of that, you hear the, the term Selah is listed there. Who is the ruler of all? Who has providence over everything? Look back over the history of the world. How many countries, nations, empires have come and gone? Our country ourselves, we're just over 200 years old, right? Psalm 22:28. for kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. Job 12:23. he makes nations great and he destroys them. He enlarges nations and leads them away. And in Acts 20, uh, excuse me, 1726, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods for the boundaries in their dwelling place. You know, the Lord's, his providence is over everything, over nations, empires, our lives, you see that all those nations that he drove out ahead of the Israel as they entered into the promised land. And if you see that, you know, you can look at a world map from 200, 300 years ago, and there's countries on there, and you're like, never heard of them. You know, it, it, things change, and the Lord's in charge of all that. He also talks about the rebellious. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. And, and we see that today in many world leaders, politicians, putting themselves above everybody, putting themselves, you know, leading nations. Well, you know, the Lord's got them there for a reason. And they, they're rebellious and they're rebellion to the Lord. They're not in his word. They're not following what God would have them do. And, and they will answer for that one day. Psalm 11:4 The Lord is in his holy temple the Lord's throne is in the heaven his eyes his eyelids test the children of man Psalm 2:1 Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain It's in vain We see it as believers today when we see 
you know, unjust, unjust laws, the, the killing of innocent children in the womb. That's rebellion. That's rebellion against the Lord. And those that put that legis, you know, legislation in, those that push for that, they're in defiance of our Lord. And that they will, as the rebellious, answer to him one day. Verses 8 and 9. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of the praise of his praise be heard. Who has kept our soul among the living, and who has not let our feet slip? Bless our God, O peoples, the people of God. Here the psalmist calling on those who follow the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Let your praise be heard. Spurgeon puts it this way, you chosen seed, particularly beloved, it is yours to bless your covenant God as other nations cannot. You should lead the strain, for he is particularly your God. First visited by his love, you should be foremost in his praise. And it talks here about you kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. Psalm 94, 18 and 19, when I thought my foot slips, your steadfast love, O Lord, help me up. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. His people are singing praise for keeping them among the living. What, what he's brought them through, as the psalmist reflects through this psalm, their exodus from Egypt, 40 years in the desert, their battles in the promised land. One commentator put it this way, which holdeth our soul in life, who by succession of miracles of mercy hath kept us alive in the midst of a thousand deaths to which we were exposed. He hath exposed us to life when we were like dead men and dry bones scattered at the mouth of the grave. And today as believers, we can count ourselves among the living. Not just our physical presence here at this point, but through eternity as believers in Christ. We can count ourselves with the believers and, and know that even when we stumble and fall, our foot may slip. He's not going to let go of that. And we see this throughout the Gospel of John. Do we not? Obviously, everybody knows John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 336, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. In 10, 28 and 29. Thought I had these marked. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. That's that hope we have, that as believers, yes, we're going to sin, we're going to stumble, we're going to fall, but we're his, and because of that, we have eternal life to look forward to. Verses 10 through 12. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. Psalm 12, 6. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. In both the Old and New Testaments, you find numerous references to God refining his children through fiery trials. In much the same way, the earthly refiner uses fire to purify gold and silver. 
The Lord says in Isaiah, I have refined you, though not as silver, I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. When silver and gold are refined, they're heating to a melting point. The impurities float to the top and removed. By afflictions, we are proved. As silver and the fire, God has proved or tried them by bringing calamity upon them to test the reality of their allegiance to him. The nature of the proof or trial is referred to in the following verses. In 1 Peter, 3, 1 Peter 1, 3 through 7. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for the salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that persists throughout is tested by fire, may be found in the results in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We've all faced trials of various kinds. Things that will may, you know, shake our faith you know, some unknown calamity, some unknown accident, some illness that you weren't prepared for. Those things can shake you to the core. Situations can be placed in front of you to see how you're going to react. Those trials, and those trials help to grow your faith. And, you, and the psalmist is saying much the same here. You brought us into a net. You laid crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Matthew Henry kind of sums it up this way. They were surprised with it as a bird with a snare, enclosed and entangled in it as a fish in a net. They were pressed down with it, kept under as with the load upon their loins. But they owed the hand of God in it. And they never in the net, they were net, excuse me. You say they were never in the net, but God brings us into it, never under affliction, but God lays it upon us. Is there anything more dangerous than fire and water? We went through both, that is, afflictions of different kinds. The end of one trouble was the beginning of another. When we had got clear of one sort of dangers, we found ourselves involved in dangers of another sort. Such may be the troubles of the best of God's saints, but he has promised when thou hast passed through the waters, through the fire, I will be with thee. And you see this at the end, even though they had this crushing burden on them at times and what they went through, the end of verse 12, yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. Can't help but think of the 40 years in the desert, what they went through and ultimately, through that trial, they then were brought into their promised land. Which brings us to the end, or the, the last verses, 13 through 20. Um, worshiping, um, excuse me, worshiping the God of one, or worshiping, you know, my Savior, you could call this also. Verses 13 through 15. And you see this here when you read this psalm, all of a sudden it goes from the world to us to now I. And you, I think I will is, is, is in here like seven times. And this is the psalmist himself reaching out. I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you, that which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. I will offer you burnt offerings of fattened animals with the smoke and sacrifice of rams, and I will make an offering of bulls and goats. These verses here, the psalmist is coming to offer a sacrifice, a burnt offering. He's continuing to give thanks to the Lord. It may be that he was just recently brought through a, a personal trial himself, or he's just reflecting on all that he's been through. 
He very well could have made a vow to the Lord during this distress. You know, Lord, if you get me through this, I will do what you will have me do. And you see this often. Um, it's not uncommon for, you know, one of us to pray, Lord, I need your help with this. Can you please get me through this? Um, I think of Martin Luther going through a storm, lightning hits a tree. He's like, Lord, get me through this, and I will be one of yours. And from there, we all know what happened, right? In the Reformation, he was one of the leaders of that. So he talks here about burnt offerings and bringing his offerings of fattened animals. And, and if you know anything about the Old Testament and the old sacrifices that they made, there were five main types of sacrifices or offerings, burnt offerings, grain offerings, peace offerings, sin offerings, trespass offerings. Each of these sacrifice, sacrifices involved certain elements, either animal or fruit of the field, and they had a specific purpose. Most of these then were split into two or three portions, God's portion, the portions for the Levites or the priests, and if there was a third, it was a portion kept by the person offering the sacrifice. One of the things that stood out to me, and when, the, when you talk about these burnt offerings, and, and you read this time and again through Leviticus, they brought these animals, these goats, these rams, without blemish. They brought their best. They didn't look around and go, you know, I need to go give praise to God. I need to atone for my sins. Give me that three-legged ram over there. I'll take that. No, they brought the best that they could to the Lord for their offering. And, and that should be our mindset, right? Whether we're serving somehow in the church, we should be doing that to our best of our ability. When we bring our offerings for the church, that should be our first fruits. That should be not, what do I have left over to give to the church? Proverbs 3, 9 and 10, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. In Colossians, 9-7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And I know, even myself, from first becoming a believer, first attending church years ago, you'd hear the, now's the time for the tithe, and everybody goes, oh, they just want money. <laughs> but we know that there's, there's a reason, you know, for our tithes and our offering, and it's to bring our best, and it's to help propagate the Lord's word, keep the lights on this place so we can gather and worship God and in our serving, you know, um, I wouldn't want, you know, Philip up here playing with five strings going, ah, that's good enough. You don't need six strings on the guitar, you know, so it's, we bring our best and why it's because it's our God and savior, Jesus Christ, that we're worshiping. Verses 16 and 17, Come and hear, all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. The psalmist here is making known that, you know, what the Lord has done for his soul. Not that the Lord pulled him through some physical danger, but to hear what he has done for his soul, what the Lord has done. And he's also clear here, he's speaking to those that, all you who fear God, He's speaking to other believers. He's speaking to those who know God. Plummer puts it this way, all the scriptures are for public use, but the wicked neither understand nor relish the lively oracles nor the experience of God's children. So the psalmist asks not the scoffing world, but those who fear God to listen to his song. God's children make an attentive audience. And we see that today, do we not? If you're trying to witness to somebody, especially if they're, um, word am I looking for, antagonistic, they have that attitude. You know, it, it's, it's, you may get to the point where it's like, hey, I'm just going to knock the dust off my sandals and move on. But it's not uncommon for us when we gather 
to, to share what we've been through, to share our trials and say, look, this is what the Lord has done. And, and this is part of the reason, again, we gather and worship. We're singing praise to our God for things that has, he's gotten us through. Spurgeon said it as well, when prayer and praise go together, like the horses in Pharaoh's chariot, some cry who do not sing, and some sing who do not cry. Both together are the best. Here the psalmist is crying out in prayer and giving praise, speaking to all that will hear. We should never be ashamed to tell others what the Lord has done for us. You know, I can, you know, I think most everybody knows how many kidneys I'm lugging around, right? <laughs> I got plenty to tell what the Lord has done for me, you know, and more importantly than just three kidney transplant, it's what he's done for my soul. That, that change that, you know, where I give my life to him brought me into the fold and know now that I have eternal life. That's more important than three kidneys. Things Jen and I have been through, you know, we can use those to speak to others. When in times people are having trials, we've all, you know, with this past few weeks has been rough around here, you know, with family members passing away, family members that are ill. But we gather, we worship, and we lift each other up from things that we've been through. And I think about, for some reason, a couple other things came to my mind that when I look back now, there's no other explanation other than the Lord brought me or family members through something. Years ago, I, don't, I must have been freshman maybe in high school. We used to go camping a lot. We used to go to a spot up on the Tuolumne River and one spring break we thought, hey, the river's up this year, let's float down it since we don't have to drag the boats. Well, it was all a great and good idea until we came to where does the river go? <laughs> river's up, plowing through brush. Long story short, next thing I know, I'm hanging on to a limb. My sister's floating by with the boat and pretty soon I look over and here's another kid hanging on the same branch I am because they flipped their boat. And look back at that, there was two adults and there was four of us kids and we all got out of the river in one piece. That doesn't happen without the Lord's intervention. And that just, you know, thinking about this, that came to mind. And, and even a family trip coming back from Michigan, we used to pile up in the car and hey, three days we're getting there, three days we're getting back, coming over Donner Summit at that point. Of course, back then you used the CB radios, right, to see what was going on in the roads ahead and behind. And, you know, my dad's like, hey, we're back in California, turn stuff off, you know, we'll be home in a couple hours. Coming around a bend, here's a car right at us. Last minute, my dad jogs this way, gets by. Of course, he turns the radio back on and everybody's on there talking about this ding dong in the wrong lane, going the wrong way. <laughs> But I'm thinking about that because I remember specifically sitting between the two seats. He had a Cherokee at the time. My hands are on the seats like this looking at this car. We hit that car. We're not here today. And again, that's God's hand. And those are the things that, you know, we can share with one another, lift each other up in times of trials or, or things that we've been through. We've all been through different things. And if we have an audience that will listen, talking to somebody, you know, the scene has gone, go through these different trials. And, and, you know, they ask the question, how did you get through that? That's the point you put your foot in the door, start telling them about your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ before they can get away, is it not? So that's the psalmist here. He's like, come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. Verse 18 now here, he issues a warning. If I had cherished inequity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. And that's a warning. You see that all through the scriptures. You know, we talk about this before each communion. Examine yourself. Make sure your heart is right before the Lord. Make sure you're right with your fellow believers. Make sure you're not harboring sin. George Sinek put it this way, sin shouts louder than our prayers. The smallest sin, loved and liked, will hinder the course of prayer. 
Psalm 28, 9, if one turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. Isaiah, but your inequities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he does not hear. John 9.31, we know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. But you read in the next verse, but truly God has listened. He has attended my voice of my prayer. So the psalmist here, when he's, he's praying and you know, giving praise to the Lord, he's doing that with a heart that's not harboring sin, he's not harboring ill will. He's saying that because of that, he's, he's hearing my prayers. It's an assurance that his heart is sincere before the Lord. Plummer puts it this way, sometimes the divine vindication is so marked that no one can deny that the Lord has done it. And we've all had that. We've all had answered prayers of some sort. You know, I think I shared before about the last transplant I had, you know, the way that happened, it was all the Lord's doing. And I know we'd been praying about it since we just found out I was going back on a transplant list and it was going to be a wait. But again, that's something that the Lord brought us through. And we get to verse 20. Blessed be God because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. What a way to end the psalm. Blessed be God. Why? Because he did not reject his prayer, but more importantly, he did not remove his steadfast love from him, the psalmist. Matthew Henry says, what we win by prayer, we must, we must wear with praise. As believers, we know we are his, we belong to Christ, and we understand that God's love will never be removed from us. Again, John 28, 29, I give them eternal life and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. This is why we gather to worship our God and Savior each Sunday, is it not? To worship Christ with our singing, our praise, our prayers, our giving, preaching of the word, and fellowship with one another. Just to wrap up here, again, worshiping the God of all in verses 1 through 4. We worship the God of all creation. Everything is his under his providence. He's the makers, maker of the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1 tells us that in the beginning, God made. Job 38.4, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Psalm 19.1, again, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Verses 5 through 12, the worshiping of his people, the worshiping of believers. Israel had reason to worship God time and again for bringing them through one calamity after another, usually due to their own sin and rejection of God. But they worshiped him as a people, bringing their first fruits, their best before God. They celebrated with praise and song for their deliverance time and again. We gather to worship God as a people. Those who call Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior, this is why we're gathered here this morning, to worship the one who saved us from sin and death. We are his people, the people of God. Acts 2.24, And they devoted themselves to the apostles, teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. Hebrews 10, 19 to 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from the evil of conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, 
as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And then worshiping my Savior, the final verses 13 to 20. What has the Lord brought you through? What has the Lord saved you from? Are you praising him through your worship? And not just your worship here, but worship daily. Are you in his word? Are you giving thanks for each day? Are you giving thanks for your meals? Are you giving praise for any good thing that happens? He states here in those last verses I mentioned seven times stating how he's worship, his Lord and Savior, I will. And that's ultimately why we gather again, right? Is it not? We gather to worship Jesus Christ with our praise and song for what he has done for us. We worship Jesus Christ with our offering, giving thanks for all he has given to us, understanding that it all comes from him. Worshiping Jesus Christ with our prayers. Worshiping Jesus Christ by sitting under the proclamation of his word. Worshiping Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ by the, our fellowship with one another. We gather to worship the one who was born of a virgin, lived a perfect, sinless life, died, was buried, and three days later rose again from the grave. And why? To be the perfect sacrifice, the unblemished Lamb of God who bore all our sins on that cross, cleansing us of our sins so that one day we can stand before God covered in Christ's righteousness and have eternal life. That's why we worship, that's why we gather and and then I think that it's important that we remember that. I know sometimes we can forget or get in the mode of it's Sunday, okay, I'll get up and get to church. But when you read through a psalm like that or, or any of the other scripture that shows what the Lord has done for his people, that has done for believers. That should motivate us, again, to get up, to come here, to worship, to gather together, to worship our Lord and Savior. And again, it's not just through our standing up, singing praises. It's everything we do is, should be praise and worship to him.